together. But let's spend a couple of minutes in the Word. I'll try not to belabor the point because I know you've got a lot of activities ahead of you. But I think there's one more subject that I need to address on this topic that we've been calling Christmas conflicts. We've been talking for three weeks now about the reality that Christmas is full of joy, but it also can be full of disappointments and even disillusionments. We've talked about some amazing supernatural events that are connected with the first Christmas, and yet, and we believe that, and yet doubt is very much a part of the human equation as well. And so those tensions, those conflicts exist. Today, I would be remiss if I didn't take at least a few moments to talk about the, 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 the connection, the conflict between the spiritual and the material aspects of the Christmas season. And I'll tell you right now, no matter how much time I have with you, it is not my goal to take away the joy of giving and receiving gifts this week, okay? So take a deep breath and let it out. I just want us to keep a healthy perspective as we do, okay? To do that, we're gonna look at the story of the shepherds quickly. Go to Luke chapter two. If you've got your Bible, you can flip there. Maybe you've got a version Bible in your, in your, uh, in your phone uh, or, or you can go to the Bridge NC app and all the scriptures will be there. They'll also be on the screen. We're gonna look at the shepherds and what they did to keep the real reason for the season in focus that first Christmas. So let's get right into it in the interest of time. Luke chapter two, verse eight says simply, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And of course, in this region of the world, particularly at that time in history, there were thousands of shepherds watching over tens of thousands of sheep in that region. But these weren't just any shepherds. You may or may not know this, but Bethlehem in that season, that, that time in history was famous for raising lambs that were specifically set aside for temple sacrifice. The, the, the Old Testament practices, the Jewish practices were to come particularly at Passover and make sacrifice. And every family had to come and bring a lamb that was perfect, a lamb that was unblemished that would be sacrificed for their sins. Some scholars say as many as 250 thousand lambs were sacrificed during the Passover season alone as people came from all over the known world to gather at the temple and worship the Lord and, and be atoned for their sins. Aren't you glad all you got to do now is pray and say, I'm sorry, Lord. That's what they had to go through and that's what they did. Well, there were shepherds in that region who specialized in preparing these perfect unblemished Lambs specifically for that purpose. And it's very likely that that's what we're talking about and who we're talking about. And I'll show you why in just a minute, but let's set the scene first. Here we go. Verse nine, Luke chapter two, verse nine. Read it with me. One, two, three, go. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. So you just imagine the scene. The Bible says when Moses went to Mount Sinai and received the 10 commandments and he saw the glory of the Lord, his face shone so bright people couldn't look at him for a long time. Well, these guys are seeing the glory of the Lord fill the entire horizon. You can only imagine how overwhelming that moment must have been. Verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The words that the angel used with these shepherds is the reason that I say these were the special guys that I think they were. We don't know this 
specifically. The text doesn't point it out, but I think it's reasonable to believe this to be true. Let me explain it to you. The mangers in that day uh, that these guys used was actually hewn out of stone. It was rough and just chiseled out of hard stone. And the reason they did that is the manger was not for every lamb. The The manger was for those lambs who were born perfect and set aside for the sacrifice and they were placed in these stone mangers in order to protect them from any predators that would come. But not only would they put them in those stone mangers to protect them, they would wrap them very tightly in these claws so that because that stone was hard and and rough, it would protect them from any bruises. Again, they're preparing this lamb unblemished for the sacrifice. They cared for these lambs the same way you would care for anything else that was precious and fragile to you. So when these guys heard words like Savior and, and Messiah, and the Lord and the town of David, it piqued their interest. They immediately began to listen to what the angel was saying. But when they heard this will be a sign to you, you will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. It was like a lightning bolt to their soul. They knew immediately who we were talking about and they knew immediately that this Messiah was not coming as a king to a palace. He was coming as a lamb to be sacrificed for our sins. In that moment, the reality of it came. You ever heard information, had information, but it didn't become real to the moment that it became reality for you? That became reality for them in that moment. You can imagine how blown away these shepherds must have been to realize that of all the people in the region and of all the shepherds in the region, the angels came to them. I believe it's because they, of all the shepherds, would have understood the power of this moment. But as amazing and incredible as that privilege must have been, it might have created some conflict for them as well. I mean, after all, I've said it several times in this series, the characters in the first Christmas were just as human as you and I. They dealt with the same human emotions that we did. So I just kind of imagined that, that maybe the angels looked at each other after the angel's message and said, wow, that's, that's awesome. We got to go see this. And one of the others said, but yeah, okay, but, but what are we going to do about the sheep? I mean, you know, if we just leave them here, wild animals might get them or, or, or wrestlers might take them or, or they might wander away. And what if the owner comes and sees that nobody's taking care of his sheep? We might lose our jobs and, and our families are dependent on us to bring home a paycheck. Tell you what, maybe we should wait till tomorrow after we get off work. He'll probably still be there then, right? Well, let me just tell you truthfully, there is absolutely no evidence whatsoever that that happened. I believe they just saw an angel. They just heard an 800-year prophecy be fulfilled before them. My guess is they dropped everything and ran. I'm probably just projecting how I would react or how you would react or how we historically react when God says, here's something I want you to see. Here's something I want you to do. And the natural human tendency is to say, okay, Lord, but I probably should finish this first. I probably should do that first. I really don't have time for that. I hear you, but, and I think maybe we would react that way if we're not intentional about responding in the moment. And in fairness, they saw an angel. Okay, we don't have many angels showing up in the chair beside it. We have to trust faith. We have to trust unseen truths. Not to mention we've been brainwashed by a philosophy that says the way you keep score is with stuff. 
with bank accounts, with titles, with promotions. That's how you keep scores. Advertisers are constantly bombarding us with the message. If you buy our stuff, you'll finally be fulfilled. You'll finally be happy. And then the Joneses are always getting ahead and we're always trying to catch up. At about the time we caught up with them last time, they refinanced and so we're behind again. And so there's this constant struggle, this tension, uh, tug of war for our hearts. Even though deep down we know that happiness doesn't come from stuff. I thought I'd get one amen from that. Happiness doesn't come from stuff. Net worth and self-worth have nothing to do with each other. Can I get an amen from somebody on that one? And yet, we live in the world where the average American puts $2,000 on their credit card every Christmas. Paying off last Christmas about the time we start shopping for this Christmas because of the pressures, the tensions that are there. We invest hours and days researching the best deal. We don't care if that company stays in business, makes a profit, we just wanna bargain. Have you ever seen the Norman Rockwell picture of the lady and the butcher? I love this picture. I asked them if they could put it on the screens. Can we bring it up? So you got, they're, they're looking at each other and smiling, but she's pushing the scale up and he's pushing it down. That's kind of the dynamic of American culture. If we aren't intentional, we'll get prey, fall prey to that, even though Jesus reminds us very clearly that fulfillment is not in what we have, it's in who we are and who we're becoming. Luke 12, 15, Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Mark chapter eight, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Pastor Jim paraphrased, what have you got if you give and get perfect gifts, but you don't have a relationship with the Jesus whose birthday we celebrate? Simply put, if we aren't intentional about setting priorities, the draw of the culture will push us to the material side of the equation and further and further away from the spiritual side of it. So let me just take a few minutes promise not to keep you much longer and just suggest to you four priorities that I think the shepherds got right and see how we're doing, do a little checkup in this last week before we approach Christmas and see how we're doing in our priorities. Four priorities that I believe will help you to resolve the spiritual versus material conflict. Priority number one is pursue Jesus above all else. Say it with me, pursue Jesus above all else. In case you've been wondering whether the shepherds really did hesitate, Luke 2.15 makes it clear they did not. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the angels, shepherds said unto them, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. I believe with everything in me that as soon as they heard the news, you'll find a babe wrapped in claws lying in a manger. They looked at each other, fired up their Ferrari and made a beeline to Bethlehem. They just took off, buddy. Here I go, we're gonna get there. But the sad reality, let's just be honest, is that there are tens of thousands of people sitting in tens of thousands of churches across this country right now who are conflicted with their priorities in terms of whether I will go all in for Jesus or I will focus a little more on building my career right now, focus a little bit more on building my bank account right now, focus a little bit more on getting that next place to live, focus a little bit more on this side of the equation and I'll fit Jesus in when I 
can. The result is, I need you to know, if you haven't figured it out yet, is that dabbling in both worlds leaves you miserable in both. Which is exactly what Jesus said would happen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You have to make a choice which one's going to be your God. Don't be like the guy who was struggling with this issue and finally went to his pastor for advice and, and said, Pastor, I really need to, to help. I need you to help me sort this out. And they talked for a while. And the pastor finally said, Well, uh, son, would you rather be poor and happy or rich and miserable? The young man thought about it for a while and he finally answered, uh, How about semi rich and slightly moody? Does, is that an option in there? Hear me, fulfillment is on the other side of the choice. It's the choice that Joshua called the people of Israel to. It's the choice that God calls us to. Joshua 24, 15, choose your, for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And you gotta be honest with yourself. You're not really gonna make the choice until you make up your mind what do I really want in life? Do I want more prestige? Do I want more money? Do I want more stuff? Or do I want Jesus to be the center of my heart? You have to choose. And it may surprise you a little bit to hear me say this, but if you decide that, that what's going to bring fulfillment to your life is more money and more prestige and more stuff, then go for it. Go for it. Put your heart into it. Go after it with everything you got. And that may seem harsh to you, but that's actually what Jesus said. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, I know your deeds that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Come on, Jesus, tell me what you really think. He's saying the stakes are way too high to play games with this thing. You got to choose. And I'm begging you this morning, wherever you are in this room or anywhere on the planet watching online, I beg you this morning, choose Jesus, choose the pursuit of Jesus above everything. You will find these things added to you when you seek the kingdom of God first. But you got to decide which one do I really want. The second priority is simply when you find him, worship him. Pursue him, and when you find him, worship him. Understand that worship is not always kind of like this morning's service with, with powerful music and these emotional moments and celebrating baptism and the lights are going and the screens are on and those are high emotion kinds of moments for so many of us. It's not always that way. When the shepherds uh, heard the story uh, and went to Bethlehem in the stable, there was no star in the sky. That came later. There was no big sign crowd gathered. If, if the Jerusalem Gazette had run a headline the next day, it would have said, nothing happened yesterday. I mean, it was just a quiet night in Bethlehem. When they got to the stable, they found a mom and a dad and some cows and a baby, and they worshiped. So this Christmas, by all means, 
Come to the Christmas Eve service. By all means, three o'clock Christmas Eve, we're gonna come together and we're gonna sing Christmas songs and we're gonna tell the Christmas story and we're gonna light candles and we're gonna take communion and those are powerful spiritual moments. So many people tell me it sets the tone for their entire Christmas Eve evening and Christmas day kind of activity. So by all means, do that. There's some invitations in the chairs around here. Take them, invite people. Let's fill this house up at three o'clock on Christmas Eve. Then you got all evening to do your family kind of activities. But beyond, that, can I humbly suggest that at some point during this season you sit down either alone or as a family and instead of reading Twas the Night Before Christmas, read Luke chapter 2. Can I suggest even that you bake a happy birthday cake and write happy birthday Jesus on it and sing happy birthday to him instead of deck the halls. Maybe Christmas morning before you open gifts, maybe you stop and give a prayer of thanks for the real reason for the season and oh, if you haven't given him the one gift he wants most, give it to him right then and there. Well, what could Jesus possibly want as a Christmas gift? You, you. That's what he wants. That's what he died for. If you want to fight against, push against that conflict between the spiritual and the material in this season, pursue Jesus. Make up your mind to pursue Jesus first before anything else. Then when you find him, worship him. Third priority, share the good news with others. Luke chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. When the shepherds had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed by what the shepherds said to them. I get a picture of them having come to that place, having worshiped the baby, and then said, okay, I guess we better get back to work because the sheep are still there. We still got a job to do. So they go back to their jobs. They go back to their stuff. They go back to their lives. But everybody they encounter on the way, they are so full of this good news, they can't help but stop and tell it and so they're telling it to anybody and everybody that will listen even if they don't want to listen they're telling about it and there's this buzz that starts to grow in the town because of what the shepherds had experienced and now they're telling anybody and everybody who will listen hear me guys the one thing I know that brings greater joy than giving your own life to Jesus is helping somebody else give their life to Jesus when you find them stepping across the line of faith and you realize you were a part of that, it rockets your joy to whole nother level. Pursue Jesus first. When you find him, worship him. And then don't keep the news to yourself. Share it with others. The fourth priority, and I'll bring this one, is enjoy material blessings, but do it with an eternal perspective. Enjoy your material blessings. Do it with an eternal perspective. Luke 2.20, the shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which they had just been told. They went back. They went back to their lives. They went back to their jobs. They went back to their stuff. They went back to all the stuff, but because they had encountered the Messiah, they were never the same Again, yes, they'd been visited by an angel and they'd 
worship the child, and now they're ambassadors of hope, and everything's changed. Again, I told you at the outset, my goal was not to, to take away the joy of giving and receiving gifts during this season. By all means, do that. Don't, I'm not trying to take away the joy of looking at the Christmas lights. Get in your car and go driving around. There's some gorgeous lights around here, people that really pull out the stops, and it's exciting to see, and not just children. Adults love them too. Get out there and do that. Nobody's suggesting you shouldn't eat a dozen or six sugar cookies during this season. I'll go on a diet with you in January. Come on, nobody's suggesting that you not enjoy the trappings of the season. Nobody's suggesting that you not enjoy the blessings that God has given you. I'm just saying, please, I beg you, keep your priorities in the right order. Remember that whatever you have, hold it loosely. Because in all honesty, none of us really own anything. It's just loaned to us for 50, 60, 70 years, 80 years. And then it gets passed on used to the next generation. That's, that's reality. So hold what you have loosely and remember that you are not citizens here as followers of Jesus Christ. You have an eternal home that he's preparing for you that he's going to call us all to one day. And I'm here to tell you that you don't have to get there to understand that. I've watched it happen. I don't honestly know if it's a function of, of spiritual maturity or a function of age or, or maybe both, but I've seen it. I've experienced it. That, that shifting of priorities from accumulating stuff, having stuff, getting stuff, feeling the need to have the newest car, the newest house, the newest whatever, where that begins to fade in importance to you. Yes, they're nice, and yes, you enjoy God's blessings. Nothing wrong with any of that stuff. They just don't have the appeal that they once had. You're no longer condescending to people who, aren't, who don't have as much as you do because or nor envious of those who have more than you do. It just isn't as important as it once was. You come to realize that what really matters in life is knowing Jesus and honoring him with your one and only life. That's where the apostle Paul got. He came from wealth and prestige and education and, and, and the most elevated education place under the feet of Gamaliel himself. But in time, he gained an eternal perspective on life. And here's what he wrote about it late in life, Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 through 10. I like the way the message paraphrases it. All the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. It's dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I can embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I gave up all that inferior stuff so that I could know Christ personally. Maybe, like the shepherds, today the light has come on. Maybe today the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart like the angels did the shepherds. Maybe in this moment it's kind of dawning on you that your focus has been more about buying and giving and receiving gifts and what you're going to cook and who's going to come and 
how, what lights you're gonna do and all the trappings of Christmas. And just as I've shared with you these few thoughts, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to your heart and saying, enjoy those things. By all means, enjoy those things. Just get your perspective. Pursue him first. Worship him first. Share the good news that you've found with anybody that'll listen. Be an ambassador of joy and always keep an eternal perspective on everything you have in life. Maybe in that moment you'll recognize that the treasure laid in a manger is worth so much more than any amount of money you might have in the bank somewhere. And you're ready to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Give me a fresh start with you today. I will celebrate you first. Let's pray. Father, you know, you know, you know our lives. You know the reality of what we struggle with, what we strive for, what we focus on, what our priority. You know all that stuff. In the quietness of this moment, would you speak your love and grace and mercy to us? Would you remind us for the real reason that you came? To save the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Remind us of the precious gift that you are. Help us to get our priorities right, especially during this season. In Jesus' name. Are you praying, guys? Maybe your prayer is, Lord, turn your searchlight on me and show me if I've gotten my priorities out of line. Or maybe it's, Lord, I realize I have. Forgive me. You pray in your own words, but tell him he's listening and he loves you so much. Thank you, Lord, for loving us when we get it right and loving us when we get it wrong. Always being ready to give us a fresh start. In Jesus' name. God bless you guys, Pastor.